the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Everybody, on today's show, we are going to talk about what Bernie Sanders said about the Democratic Party and abortion. We are going to talk about kindergarten and going to talk to Jay and Laura LaFoon about their marriage book. You are listening to The Common Good. Happy Monday. You're listening to The Common Good alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Online, 1160hope.com. Get our podcast wherever it is. Get your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Happy Monday, my friend. Oh, why? Thank you. <laughs> it, may be, it may or not be a happy Monday. It's Monday. <laughs> I should just look at you instead of happy Monday. Just go, Monday. It's happening. <laughs> it's, it is a it's a reality. <laughs> we should try and do like an entire show where we don't offer any opinion about anything. It's just straight cold hard facts for an hour straight or <laughs> two hours straight. Down. <laughs> this happened. Next. Yeah. We're the Weather Channel. Of it's, news. <laughs> even the Weather Channel's got a little bit of opinion That's a good sprinkled point. in. That's a good point. So I did not watch a minute of the Oscars, but we are going to talk Oscars later in the show with Dallas mm-hmm. Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm excited for that. Did you watch any of the show last night? I did not. Did not. This could be a great interview. <laughs> I did listen to a bunch of recaps. We don't have you cable did. or anything, so I don't have a capacity to watch it live. And you did do some, Some. Uh, you said that you, you listened to some... Uh, some recaps and, and know what happened. So I just watched this documentary. <laughs> no, they did not make about it already. <laughs> it's the fastest turnaround of a documentary. All ready to go, depending on the winner. <laughs> uh, so that's coming on later in the show. Dallas Jenkins will join us in studio to talk about the Oscars and other things, uh, media. But we did want to start with uh, what is increasingly a scary story, uh, and that is this coronavirus out of China. And you could give us the facts, but you you came across something that said yesterday was the deadliest day uh, yet with the coronavirus? Yeah, China's National Health Commission reported that there were 97 new deaths from the virus on February 9th, making Sunday the deadliest day so far, mm. which is terrifying. It is. And the reported um, infections now is like in the 40,000. Like it's, it is uh, a pretty frightening number. And, and you said you've even read somewhere that there's speculation that maybe those numbers aren't entirely accurate. Too, so right? I was actually with a uh, in a pastor's group with a pastor who's now out here in the western suburbs, uh, but who's from China and he leads uh, a Chinese church here in mm. in the western suburbs. And uh, he was saying, we were asking him, like, what's your family back in China? Like, what are they saying? Like, he still has his parents and other people. And he said, oh, it's 10 times worse than what they're saying. Jeez. Like the debt. Like he basically insinuated that the government and others are are keeping the numbers down. Jeez. Uh, but that it's it's a lot worse. So I don't know. Like. You, uh, we, I've said, shared this before that for me, a lot of times I just live in this bubble where nothing outside of even the United States really impacts me. This one, as you're starting to read about it and just kind of dwell on it, it's it's not only a big deal like, oh, man, a big deal, but like just heartbreaking. It's yeah. heartbreaking that, that it's really just 
getting worse by the day. Well, you also said you came across an article about some of how the church there is responding. Really encouraging. So this was at Christian Post, and uh, it says this, Christian sharing love of Jesus in coronavirus hot zone. Death toll rises. In, at this point of the article, it says to over 800, but it's gone up even more. Uh, and so it, it has this story. It says, with fear and insecurity have gripped the 11 million residents of Wuhan, a city in China's pro- uh, Hubei province, uh, which is where the coronavirus kind of started. It's the epicenter. Christians have been out on the streets giving out masks and sharing the love of Jesus oh, wow. and the hope of the gospel. Wow. Uh, this one person who was the Christian Broadcasting Network's Asia correspondent, Lucille Toulouson, she said they're very courageous. They give out masks and they say that they are Christians and they share the love of Christ and point to Jesus to bring hope to them and their families and the whole of China. It's really a breakthrough. It reminds me of the early church, right? You read the stories of church history where it was the early church Christians who were the ones caring for the lepers and putting themselves in harm's way in the midst of this tragedy of what's going on. It kind of feels like that's what's going on with the church in Wuhan and in China. Yeah, good for them, man. Yeah, and so we got to be praying for them. Absolutely. And uh, we don't live in fear, right? God is... Uh, he is sovereign and in control, but man, this is, this is a scary thing. And so, uh, at the very least we can be praying and there's people here in Chicago, right? Like, uh, um, who are struggling. And so let's be in prayer for them. Uh, make it a complete left turn. I did want to bring up something. I, I kind of, do you ever like start with one tweet and then Wait, we're not, making a left turn of all the stories. That's a left turn. This is a hard right turn. Thank you always you say right. <laughs> Just curious. Sorry, the joke ahead. will come here in a minute when I introduce the story. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you do this sometimes you're online and you click, you read a tweet and then you click on someone's response. And all of a sudden you're down like this wormhole for like an hour, just reading like these articles or disputes or this. Or oh, that. I don't have the internet. No, <laughs> I, don't, have I don't know internet. what you're talking you're about. You said you don't have cable. You don't have electricity. Mm-hmm. You don't have heat. I live in the woods. <laughs> You've said that you wouldn't mind being Amish <laughs> at times. Living that. like the Amish. Uh, so what I got, I did like kind of this dive into, uh, so last week or two weeks ago, Rush Limbaugh, and this is where the funny part of you saying it's, this is what you're going to say left turn. Uh, Rush Limbaugh, uh, you know, prominent, prominent uh, conservative radio host. Uh, Rush Limbaugh on his show shared that he uh, has advanced lung cancer, would likely miss some tapings while he undergoes treatment. Uh, And then the whole Rush Limbaugh thing got even bigger when Donald Trump, President Trump, uh, awarded Rush Limbaugh with the, what was it, the Presidential Medal of Freedom? Presidential Medal of something, Freedom, uh, at the State of the Union, surprising a lot of people and, quite frankly, angering a lot of people. Uh, So I don't want to necessarily talk about what you think about Rush Limbaugh as a person, but instead say that now as there is this online debate about whether you can be happy that Rush Limbaugh has cancer. Hmm. And I started reading this, and it was both really disturbing and at the same time, this kind of like picture of our society. It was like a, a sociological experiment yeah. discussion going on. And so I don't know what you think about this, how people in general, if it surprises you that there are people going good, I hope he has a painful death. And then maybe we speak to the Christ follower. Uh, how do we react? Even when people that we think are, are terrible people might be stricken with something like this. Yeah. I feel like the Christ follower perspective is the only one I'm, I'm that um, interested in talking about because I I feel like the church often mixes this up where we impose Christian values on people who have never claimed to be Christians. I think that's sometimes where we get out of whack, but it does seem um, increasingly acceptable for Christ followers to say, 
awful things or to wish awful things on someone they deem their enemy. And not to be like too simplistic, Jesus is pretty clear about what our (laughs) posture is supposed to be toward our enemies. And I'm not saying, listen, I'm not defending uh, any political position. I'm not defending even some of the awful stuff that, you know, we've heard Rush Limbaugh say, but we've also heard other Christ followers say and people on the left yep. and the right. All, all of that aside, um, we, we can call uh, certain speech awful, call, yep. it, call it what it is, and still not wish like death or pain on somebody. And this this goes not just for talk radio hosts. This goes for terrorists this goes for uh, people i mean people that have harmed us like the kinds of charges and invitations that jesus and paul and others have made about how we're to treat our enemies to me i feel like we sometimes get a we, we give ourselves a pass like yeah but they said some terrible things so i hope they yeah. die you know yeah paul was saying this in the context where like his friends are being executed and he's like yeah we need to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us like yeah. that is remarkable to me so i don't know sometimes that discourages me when i see prominent christian leaders in particular um, take the same tack of the thing that they're criticizing. Absolutely. You know? And and so I wanted to highlight that just because I spent some time yesterday reading about these and we do this in the Christian world and we've got to, uh, we've got to be better than that. Uh, you can read the articles that we h- highlighted here. It's particularly the one about the coronavirus. You can check that out at our Facebook page, uh, the common good radio show coming up next. Uh, both Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg, uh, the two frontrunners currently for the democratic national uh, presidential nomination had some, Uh, disturbing and interesting things to say about their stance on abortion. We're going to discuss that coming up next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on this Monday uh, afternoon. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio show. Find us at on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Online, 1160hope.com. You can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, go ahead, subscribe, uh, rate, and review. Uh, we're not doing uh, in this show because we've got some guests today. We're not doing what did we preach yesterday, but did you preach yesterday? I sure did. Yeah, uh, where? In the city? I was in the city. I was at our Lincoln Square location. Lincoln Square. I am such a suburban person. Lincoln Square and Lincoln Park near each other, same general area, or two completely different areas? Uh, yeah, two completely different areas. They're geographically fairly close, but uh, given Chicago, right? <laughs> given the time of day, though, it would take you a while to get there. Okay. I mean, it's it's awesome. They're both incredible locations. I love being with both those families. I hadn't been to Lincoln Square in a while, and you know, I was partly nervous, like, oh, they might not even remember me, and they were so loving and welcome and awesome. It was great. Yeah, it was a great, great Sunday. Awesome. I, I preached yesterday too, and then coached two uh, Park District basketball games. Dang. And uh, you, yeah, let me tell you, I really had them working today, the other day. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, and and I bring that up also because I do. You and I joke about it all the time, but some Mondays become after you preach Mondays are like they're just a little difficult. Moving slowly. Yeah, slowly. but we, you know, we still have a Monday evening service. So if I was preaching at the box, I would that would still be a thing. You don't get the really Monday's an odd day when you have another service on Monday night. So does know? Tuesday become the hard day for you, or is Monday morning tough? But then you kind of adrenaline, you kick it back mm. in. Yeah, probably that. Probably that one. Monday morning, you kind of. I think so. And then you ramp back up. I think so. All right. Well, uh, hopefully you had a chance to be in worship yesterday, too. And uh, looking forward to a good week, a good week with us together. We're actually doing a full week, you and I together this week. So It's finally happening. It's finally After a year. We last week, too. We're both going to be in the same space for a full five days. <laughs> just let us do it again. Let us do it. So. 
the uh, Democratic national uh, nomination process is in full swing right now. Uh, there's, I don't know, have you been following at all? All that happened in Iowa. That was quite the uh, just a flawless execution. <laughs> that one. So smooth. It makes me feel better about myself. Like, oh, okay. I is can, that where I your just, brain goes? No. You see a debacle, you're like, I feel better about myself now. I, I didn't even like. I don't follow the politics that closely, but I was every now and then I'm like, I wonder who won Iowa. Oh, still nobody. <laughs> I wonder who won it. Oh, they don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. I, I am hearing other. Uh, quote unquote reports about possible tampering and all yeah. that too. It's like this is Twilight Zone. This is yeah. so weird. Here's the issue. Just the it's the so the it's always the apps. The apps are the issue. Yes, we've, so, we've never sounded more old. <laughs> it's stop, those darn apps. Stop with the apps. America would be better if we didn't have apps, not appetizers, by the way. But what we do know, ooh, appetizers, <laughs> applications. But what we do know is that the two leaders right now, and this could change in the span of a week, but the two leaders are right now Bernie Sanders uh, and Pete Buttigieg. Uh, Pete Buttigieg, the uh, mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Bernie Sanders, um, uh, longtime uh, congressman, and he has run for president before or for the nomination, at least. And and I bring that up to say they both had uh, interesting and what I would say are disturbing things to say about uh, not just their own views on abortion, but how they view their party and abortion. And and we've made no uh, uh, we've made no. Uh, we've not hidden the fact uh, that abortion for us is a very big uh, topic. And uh, so Pete Buttigieg, uh, the question was, does Pete Buttigieg believe abortion should be completely unrestricted? And he was on The View uh, and Megan McCain was pushing him about uh, calling his views uh, pretty radical. And Buttigieg kind of went back to the point of it's not up to me to decide, but seemed to in his answer uh, really be implying that uh, he would not restrict abortions at all. The bigger one was Bernie Sanders. Uh, Bernie Sanders uh, the other day was in a town hall uh, in New Hampshire, uh, and he was quoted as saying this. Bernie Sanders said Saturday that, quote, being pro- pro-choice is an essential part of being a Democrat. He, Sanders, discussed whether Democrats must be pro-choice. He said, I think in the Senate, probably 95% of Democrats are pro-choice. The other few are not in the House, maybe even in a higher percentage. So that's kind of what my view is. I think by this time in history, I think when we talk about what a Democrat is, I think being pro-choice is an essential part of it. So he's basically mm-hmm. laid down the gauntlet and said, you have to be pro-choice to be a Democrat in his view. Yeah. Are you surprised, A... Uh, uh, a, what does that do for you? Like, does that um, sadden you or or disturb you? And B, are you surprised that a candidate would be like, "Nope, I'm laying down the gauntlet." Like, you usually candidates want to get as many votes as they can. Uh, and so, I'm wondering what your thoughts were specifically on what Bernie Sanders had to say. I'm not that surprised. I mean, we've sort of said the same on the conservative end too. No mm-hmm. one's maybe outright said it, but I, that, don't you feel like that's also sort of implied? To be a conservative means that you must be pro life. Like the. The interaction that you mentioned earlier with Pete Buttigieg, Kristen Day, who said, I'm a pro-life Democrat, and there's 21 million of us. That number was actually surprisingly yes. higher than I thought. But then I wondered, wait, why, why is that higher than I thought? Like, it's it, even that line of thinking was convicting for me. Like, oh, right, 21 million pro-life Democrats. That actually, the more I think about it, that doesn't seem that out mm. of the ordinary. I, I'm curious how she must feel hearing some of that. She's like, no, I'm, f- I'm fully Democrat. Yeah. And this is a massive conviction for me. And kind of like what you're saying, and a lot of this is the political theater, the dance of campaigning that 
it was more surprising just simply because it that would outright alienate these 21 million, I imagine, yeah. to a degree that would be harmful to his campaign, don't yeah. you think? That's that's why I was surprised by it. You'd be like, even if you believe it, you would think you wouldn't say it. You'd dance around it a little exactly. bit. or yeah. Exactly. But Sanders, and on some level, even though I categorically disagree with him, you have to give him some credit for just being bold and being like, this is what I believe. In the debate the other day, he said, if he is president... Every judge, not just Supreme Court, but federal judge, that for him, a barometer will be the issue of abortion, specifically Roe versus Wade and what they believe about it. And again, that's just coming out there and that's just going, hey, I know this is a hot button topic, but this is what uh, how I'm going to govern. And uh, on that very, like I said, on a very weird way, I kind of respect him for saying it, even though I categorically like for me. Even if I agreed, which I don't, but even if I agreed with Bernie Sanders on other things, I'd be like, nope, can't vote for you. Like, I just can't do it. See, this but is too big of an uh, issue for well, me, and I would not be able to do it. That's where I find Klobuchar sort of interesting, because mm-hmm. uh, she seems to be kind of striking this middle space where she's like, listen, my own party seems to be running to the extremes. Um, I'm somewhere kind of in the middle, and that seems to be, at least as of late, Gaining a little bit of attraction and attention. And I I wonder, like, if that has any longevity or not. But sort of this, hey, we don't have to run to the borders on everything here and every issue. Uh, I could function as a moderate in this whole kind of chaotic conversation. uh, I'm curious to see how that plays out. Yeah, and it's just interesting because the Democrats right now uh, seem to not really be sure what they want, right? Which is, I think, frustrating some people on their side. They want a caucus that works. There you go. Because <laughs> it does seem right now Buttigieg and Sanders are two of the more progressive guys. And, uh, and and so it seems to be landing there. But we'd be curious what you think, uh, especially uh, I would love to hear from people out there who maybe are pro-life Democrats. And when you hear uh, Senator Sanders say that being pro-choice is an essential part, that you basically can't be pro-life and be a Democrat, in his opinion, what you would think about that, because I'm sure we have a lot of listeners out there who would say, no, I, I kind of like you called it straddle the fence on both. I'm kind of on both camps. Well, and it's been posted to our Facebook page. We really this would be fascinating. Uh, comment on the article mm-hmm. uh, and let us know what you think, because that would really I'd be really curious to get into the head and heart of someone that fits that description. Exactly. Exactly. And what we've learned about our audience is they are across the board on these. things. I love so, that. I love uh, that. We will have that. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Ian Simpkins here. And after we had this marriage conference with Thrivent and two other local churches, it kind of piqued my interest to learn more about this organization. We had such a good response with them at the conference. I was kind of interested in seeing what else they did. And so they actually provided me with this list of like 12 or 13 different topics that they offer free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And the thing that was crazy is that each of these topics were things that people in my church were actually asking me, things that I didn't really know how to talk about. And so they offered numerous free workshops for the people in our church to help them be wise with money and to live generously. And let me tell you, it was this really beautiful sort of no strings attached kind of a, we want to help you do this better. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with Thrivent and being really grateful for the ways that they were coming alongside us and the local churches around us. And if you're interested at all in learning more, I cannot encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. 
You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, online 1160hope.com. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. Go ahead. Go Just ahead do and do it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, go ahead. No, do that, it. You, you be you. That music was nice and cheery. Like, that one gets me back. It's me. There's certain music, just when we come back, that one that gets the energy going. You feel energized. I do. Monday, you, I'm ready to roll. Do you want to slow it down just for effect? No. Okay. Then <laughs> talk fast. Here we go. So, uh, over the weekend, <clears throat> I was actually, actually just on Saturday flipping through channels and came upon. Uh, a report that Bob Knight, you remember Bob Knight, the old mm-hmm. Indiana University basketball coach. There was a report that Bob Knight, for the first time since he got fired 20 years ago, uh, was going to come and appear at an Indiana basketball game. So Indiana was playing Purdue uh, at Assembly Hall in Bloomington uh, at University of Indiana. And uh, this was just an enormous deal uh, for Indiana, but also for college basketball. Now, Bob Knight, Bob Knight got fired 20 years ago, and it's vowed crazy ne- that was 20 years isn't ago. It amazing, yeah. Vowed never to come back, and right. so he is. Uh, he has been very critical of people uh, at the University of Indiana. In fact, one time in an interview, I actually heard a replay of it this morning. Uh, somebody said, "You know, Bob, a, a lot of the people who made that decision are like they're they're dead now. Like, and, and oh, you know, gosh, and back in the day, you want to answer that? I hope more of them die. Holy <laughs> so, cow! So to say there okay. was some animosity and bitterness <laughs> uh, would not uh, would would not be an overstatement. Let's put it this way: Bob Knight is in declining health, and uh, mm. the people close to him." Uh, one of them being Dick Vitale, the who was announcing the game. One being uh, Bob Knight's son, Pat Knight, uh, and some of his former players basically said to him, "We've got to now is the time. Now is the time to get this taken care of." Uh, and Bob Knight relented and came and and was honored at halftime of the Indiana Purdue game this past Saturday. And I watched it, and uh, it was really touching, and it was really like it felt like uh, something that. Maybe he needed and the school needed, but certainly uh, in listening to the interviews with fans and actually his ex-players, they said, this is a healing process for me. Like, Mm. I needed this. The players Mm. were like, we are tired of being in between the school and our beloved ex-coach. And so it was a heartwarming moment. But as often happens, and this is what I want to talk about, as often happens... Uh, when things like this happen, people bring up everything bad about Bob Knight. Bob Knight has a lot of bad uh, from the way he treated his players. He was like, um, didn't, what, didn't he choke a player? That's why was he that got fired. It is. Okay. He put his hands on a player. Okay. Uh, after before having done that before being given a zero tolerance, uh, oh. and he did that. Uh, he has said things uh, in interviews that are uh, are highly, highly inappropriate. Really, uh, just in general, high temper. Um, uh, yeah, and so that's kind of Bob Knight. And so uh, the the articles came out as he was coming back about how great this is. He's coming back, and as you can expect, that mm-hmm. was then followed by the articles and the tweets about. Uh, reminding us who Bob Knight was. Mm. Should we be celebrating him? Is he worthy of being honored? And that always happens. That happened here. Uh, 
think about what's going on with Gail King and mm-hmm. CBS and Kobe Bryant right. uh, coverage right now. Right. Like, is it too soon to talk about his rape trial in Colorado? Uh, what does it mean to give a full picture versus honoring somebody that we understand there's a dark side, but honoring? And I found myself reading them. And I got to be honest, my first thought was, dude's 87 years old. Like, let's let's let the people honor him the way they want. I, I, I get it. There's nuance. But let's just let bygones be bygones. But I wasn't hurt by him. I was going to say you weren't choked and, by him. Right? And, uh, and I wasn't in, at all in the middle of it. So I wonder where you land on that, whether it be sports, politics church, whatever, or more personally, people in your own, not necessarily your life, but people in people's, you know, close spheres in their lives about being able to forgive and honor while still remembering who this person has always been and was like the people wanted with Bob Knight this week. Yeah, it's just really tricky because there is a big difference, I think, between forgiving and honoring for sure. True. Valid point. I, I do think an important part of forgiveness is legitimately wishing well on that person. I think that's part of it. Um, that's a component of forgiveness that we don't talk about enough. I also think forgiveness is a process. I don't think you just flip a switch. It is the canceling of a debt. So it's not diminishing the bad that was done. But it is saying like, hey, you wronged me or you took something from me or whatever. Forgiveness is acknowledging that there's a debt and then saying, I'm going to I'm going to wipe that slate clean. That's part of it, I think. But it doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation. It yep. doesn't mean ex- excusing the behavior where this conversation gets tricky for me is the honoring component. And where my mind naturally goes to is how many people uh, that are worth honoring that we don't. Interesting. And and again, I don't have like some list that I've been keeping of like, well, why do we honor this guy when there's these 87,000 people that I've been thinking of that aren't being honored or aren't getting a standing ovation or aren't getting stage time or a platform? Uh, it's it's definitely tricky because, like you mentioned, the bygones be bygones. I think that's much easier to say when you haven't been harmed by the person. Agreed. I'm, and, I'm, and you acknowledge that. I'm wondering if in your mind, is there, and obviously this isn't like black and white empirical, like, oh, if, if your offense is this or lower then, you know, you should be honored at some point in the future. If it's this offense or higher, like there's not like a measurable ranking system, but could you conceive of some sort of celebrity or athlete making a poor decision that you, even if they were 87 and declining health, you still would say, no, you still Mm -hmm. don't get to be honored. Like, is there someone that comes to mind for you? Like we've, we've, Talked briefly about some of the Michael Vick stuff before yeah, and yeah. how people lost their mind about Which all that. I can for once say I was watching a documentary because there was a Michael Vick 30 for 30 this past week. <laughs> oh, right uh, on. Uh, I have a name. Yeah. And that name is O.J. Simpson. Oh, <laughs> I, do that's not someone, think, okay. I do not think there will be a day where USC or the Buffalo Bills or somebody rolls out O.J. Simpson, rolls out, that was being, brings out O.J. Sure. Simpson and says, hey, it's been a while now. Right. Like, he was innocent. Like, let's let it go. And so that's one. But I do think you make a good point. I do think there's a sliding scale um, for people. Like, I I also think there's a lot of people who romanticize Bob Knight probably in that audience. They're going, this right. was my childhood, him. And there's right. other people going, uh, he was what was right with basketball coaches and institutions back then. And now mm. look what's happened when people like him are no longer welcome. Mm. You know, the, the kids are, run, you know, and you can hear that too. But uh, I think, um, you know, uh, OJ Simpson obviously falls under that, but I don't know. I think I'm interested more like for you specifically, not like with the organization on the uh, person, but like for you, is there a, is there a threshold where even if, you know, 20 years had passed, you would still say, nah, I, I don't harbor ill against you, but I don't think we should be honoring this person. That's a hard one because 
my first thought was somebody who a violent criminal, somebody who did something to children, something like that. Yeah. Um, but then we've had people on our show who were violent criminals and God changed their life That's around right. and exactly. deserved to be honored. And yeah. so uh, I, I suppose the caveat there is if you saw fruit of real change, then as opposed okay. to just time. Like, oh, you know, oh, that's you did interesting. That. I've never heard you say you're sorry, but ah, a little time is gone. Right. It's kind of what happened with Bob Knight. Just time went by. Well, time in that he's mellowed a little bit, but that's not the same as contrition at no, all. It's no. like he just got older. He's literally yeah. never said I'm sorry for any of this stuff. He has been famously Yikes. not contrite. Yikes. Uh, and so this was really just that's a tough. time. Yeah, that's uh, tough for a me. time issue. That's a great question. What is the threshold to where it, people are worthy to be honored? Is it just time? And like, oh, like it's way in the past? Uh, I think that's uh, really interesting. You can read this article yeah. uh, on our Facebook page at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common uh, Good Radio Show. Uh, coming up next, uh, we are going to continue the conversation from our weekend uh, as we tackle uh, kindergarten. We've both uh, been to kindergarten, so let's talk kindergarten. That's coming up next year on the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Monday. I woke my son up today by telling him that that uh, four best words for uh, for today. You want know what they are? Pitchers oh. and catchers report. Mm. Spring training starts today. Does that do it for you? It's like summer's coming. <laughs> Baseball season is upon us. You know, you joke a lot about you being the sports guy, and I'm more the... Um, You're more the sports guy than I thought skinny. when we started. Okay, yep. I appreciate that. Yep, yep, but yep. It, it is a lot... I, I pay attention less yep. than you do. But the, the pitchers and catchers report. <laughs> right, in, right. Yeah, probably just in general. But there is, for me, the nostalgia, though, yeah. too. And I can remember... At least back in the day when I was a kid, you know, we could get bleacher seats for a buck yes. at Tiger Stadium, and my dad would bring us all down, and you'd, you're getting the popcorn and the hot dog. and the, Yep. I loved all that. It actually kind of blew my mind because when I started here, one of our students' dads had the printing contract at U.S. Cellular, so he would tell me, hey, pick a game, pick a Sox game this summer, and I'll get you a bunch of tickets you can bring the youth group. So I'd always pick you know, a game where we were playing the Tigers. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'd tell the youth group, like, hey – Carve this date out. We're going to a Sox game. And like half the youth group were like, nah, we're Cubs fans. Oh, gosh. I was like, any game I can. That's what I'm saying. I'm any like, game. it's a free ball game. Yes. Why would, like, I just didn't, you know. So I still have that nostalgia for sure. In fact, I think that later on this spring for the kids' spring break, we're going to be in Florida uh, uh, for a little bit of time. And the and I figured out that the baseball season will have started. And Jack and I figured out we can go to Tampa and see a game. We don't care about the Tampa race. We're like, new stadium. We're going. Let's go. <laughs> so... Yes. Well, yesterday my four uh, favorite words were today's National Pizza Day. So is it really? It was. We had our friends the Gagers over and had some delicious pizza and celebrated. It was great. No, okay. You I like it. pizza. Saturday night I ate pizza, so I, I was that was on National Pizza Day Eve. You were preempting. That's <laughs> how that's the, how big a fan you it are. It was the Eve. <laughs> Hard hitting news here on the Common Good. Pitchers and catchers report. <laughs> Spring is coming. It's coming, and so. Uh, you found us an article at NBC News called How Play is Making a Comeback, comeback in Kindergarten Classrooms. And so my kids, obviously, pass the kindergarten ages. But what they're talking about here really filters its way down through all the grade levels. But 
Uh, you've got kids that are moving towards kindergarten. You still got a couple more years, but yeah. you're kind of it, what this kind of article is very interesting because you've got the trajectory of moving towards it. I'm getting further and further away from it. Aww, uh, but sad. No, I'm good with it. Uh, <laughs> but this, <laughs> a single tear rolled down yep. Brian's cheek. Yep. There are some things that I, that I get really nostalgic about. Some I don't. That's kindergarten not is not one of them. No, no. <laughs> uh, so how play is making a comeback in kindergarten classrooms and the concept here is that increasingly from maybe uh i'm asking i don't actually remember you've been homeschooled but did you go to kindergarten or were you homeschooled from that oh no i didn't start homeschooling until sixth grade there you go so i went to private school preschool kindergarten first grade and then uh public school second to fifth okay so we both did kindergarten and uh, not together nope we did not not (laughs) even close to each other and uh, I remember uh, you and I were talking off air about this, that for me, when I did kindergarten, we still took naps. So you'd have like uh, singing yeah, I can't time. Remember. I can't remember. You that. would go and you'd get this blue mat that was like it was <laughs> like sleeping on the floor and you'd unroll it. And even whether you slept or just laid there quietly, there was nap time. They would the teacher would turn the lights out. And now, what did the teachers do, do during that time, do you think? Now that you're an adult. I would, I would nap as well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they did because the lights would be out. But, uh, you know, a lot of snack time, a lot of play time. And uh, I remember when our kids were coming up along the ages, they kind of said, well, think about what you used to do in first grade. They now do in kindergarten. What you did in kindergarten, they do in preschool. It's kind of the way it's worked. Uh, but now there's this movement that's saying, we went too far that there's too much academics and too much structure at the kindergarten age level. And now there's a little bit of a movement to kind of go back to introducing play and that there that as they do this, it actually helps the kids grow academically, socially and all these other things. So I wonder what you think about that. So, yeah, the article says how play is making a comeback in kindergarten classrooms uh, begins by saying a Washington state district made an entire school just for kindergartners where joy and play are the focus. Hmm. Student in Sarah St- students in Sarah Stevens kindergarten class have at least 40 minutes a day for what's called play to learn time. So it's this school out of Washington. Let's see the two hundred and sixty million dollars school opened in 2017 with one central goal to make kindergarten here more playful and joyful classrooms. Mm mirror high-quality preschools with artwork papering the walls, children playing gleefully on colorful carpets and shelves stocked with bins of toys. Heated floors invite the children to play and rest. Heated floors Heated are a bit nice floors, for nap time. Yes. <laughs> and multiple play areas, both inside and outside the school, offer kids opportunities to learn and burn off energy. I just picked up a little indoor trampoline for my two-year-old yesterday from Facebook oh, Marketplace because he's losing his mind. <laughs> that is a game changer right there. It was. I well, You know, the car that I drive is roughly the size of a cereal box, too. So I got there. A little overconfident. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure I, it would not fit. Oh, so this poor guy feeling. had to come out. They're like trying to move, and he's taking apart this whole trampoline, whatever. <laughs> so the article goes on and says, it may seem frivolous to spend so much money on a school dedicated to a grade level that students aren't even required to attend in most states. But research shows kindergarten can be one of the most important years in a child's educational career. Positive experiences in kindergarten can improve social and behavioral skills and early test scores and even increase the likelihood that children will attend college college and ultimately make more money as adults have you ever read anything like that no do you buy it 
Or is, or is there a little bit of your uh, curmudgeonly old man sense like, you prove it? That, you put that so well. Because <laughs> there is, this is probably 100% true, and I'm like, bah, kindergarten, <laughs> no way. <laughs> like, that was literally my first thought when really? you said that. And then you're like, what do you think about that? <laughs> nah. <laughs> but based on, I mean. I napped in kindergarten. We're not social scientists. We don't, no. you don't really know. This is from a reputable, I mean, it's from NBC News. It's, it's not some yokel. It's probably 100% true. I'm not, that's just more me. I don't know that it, anything like this can be a 100% true. Good point. Can we ever, like, with total certainty? But it is an interesting concept yeah. um, because I feel like we go back and forth on this. Like, oh, are we too hard on our students? We, I think we've talked about this in a show before. I never took the SATs or ACTs or any oh. of those things. I just, like, walked to the community college and was like, can I can I go here? Go here? <laughs> and like, do you have any money? I was like, a little bit. And like, come on in. So that, <laughs> You're that, in. That was, my, that was my, so I realized I'm maybe not the target audience for this conversation, but, you know, having already done the kindergarten thing, do you find any of what they experienced or learned? Or, was that a formative season for your kids? Or you're kind of oh, like, absolutely. oh, it was like nice to have, but not necessary. Absolutely. They're learning like what it, even in preschool, they're learning like what it means. They're, they're getting a little glimpse of independence and a little glimpse of structure. Okay. Now my kids still did half day kindergarten. Some of this towns around us are now like going all in on full-time kindergarten. But um, you know what? I think this issue they raise here is important for kindergarten, but it, filters its way down through all grade levels. You and I have talked about this before. Even my high school daughter and all the other, you know, I have a son in sixth grade, a daughter in fifth grade. Like, I have to talk to them about, like, hey, you need to go have some, like, trying to strike that balance between homework and play and fun. And uh, sometimes the battles to get them to do homework, but sometimes the battles to get them to stop doing homework. Right, right. It is not good for you to just be working. And it feels like in this generation of kids, they carry some sort of burden. My wife and I have talked about this, that we didn't carry, even though I felt like I worked hard and she, my wife feels like she worked hard. It just feels different. And it's made itself all the way down to kindergarten. What I find interesting, too, it says states and districts responded from 1998 to 2010. The time spent on non-academic subjects in kindergarten, including free play, decreased in favor of more time on academic subjects, such as conventional spelling and writing, simple equations. Um, that was a study in 2016. Ooh. During that same time, the percentages of classrooms with a dramatic play area dropped from nearly 90% to 58%. So, again, wow. that's the, over the course of, what, 12 years? Um, but that's a pretty significant drop-off. And we've, you know, we've talked about this before, the importance of things like uh, music and art and how quickly those often seem to be the first to go when budgets are tight. And we're finding more and more, even into adulthood, and we've talked about this particularly in you know concepts mm-hmm. of Sabbath rhythm and margin and all that stuff, that this constant pedal to the metal in what is like utilitarian, utilitarian, that's not a word. That's good. Beneficial. Close, close yeah. enough. You guys know what I'm saying. Um, that a life in adulthood like that isn't healthy. And uh, we're finding more and more that the same is true in these early developmental ages, Absolutely. which I think is super fascinating. Absolutely. So we'd love to know what you think about this. Uh, we'll post this article to our uh, Facebook page. Coming up next. Uh, we are going to talk about another uh, ministry leader uh, getting removed from his job for, for some behaviors that are, uh, to say uh, the least, uh, disheartening. We'll discuss that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.
Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Coming up in this hour, we are going to talk about a shakeup at Acts 29, and then we're going to have our old friend Dallas Jenkins in to talk about the Oscars. You are listening to The Common Good. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins, who is playing the air drums right now, if you could see him. With perfect time, by the way. When you play the air drums, do you hear the drums in your head? Yeah. You do. See, I don't. I just kind of swing around. <laughs> That's okay. You're not a drummer. I am not a drummer. Is drumming hard to learn? Because every time I've tried to do it, the, the, this is going to this is gonna give you a window into my music ability. Oh, window. Sore the, topic. Sorry. Go ahead. The <laughs> Inside joke there. The, uh, the keeping the beat with your feet while being able to hit I, yeah. it is beyond me. It like, isn't, it is though. So it really isn't. Me. The basics, I really fully believe that like anyone can do. Really? I get, though, why the concept of like it's four limbs doing four different exactly. things. Exactly. That is kind of overwhelming. But if you have a good teacher and someone to give you the very basics, I think anyone give me two weeks of practice every day, you you could play four four. You could play okay, like with people and keep challenge time. accepted. Let's do it. I'm going to bring a drum set into the studio. I really think you could do it on air. So, uh, just you just stumbling through drum playing that'd be fun. My youngest daughter plays the violin. Has just le- is learning the violin. totally different. That's an insane instrument, and she practices all the time. Yeah, and this past Saturday uh, had her first. Um, Solo, where yeah. she had to like go in front of a judge. Wow, which I didn't even know was a thing. Yeah, that's nerve wracking. Yeah, but my wife, she was like walking through, like, oh, I did this growing up, and my daughter killed it. Oh, and I was awesome. in there videoing it, and literally the judge got up and like, have you taken private lessons? And she's like, no, just school. She's like, you're really advanced. You do this like really naturally that oh, most people awesome. can't do. And I'm in the back, like, yes. <laughs> well, and I'll say this too, and then we'll get to what we're actually yeah. going to talk about. Yep, I yep. had a friend who's a phenomenal violin player, and I was kind of interested in, you know, I play a little guitar and a little piano, very, very little. Um, it took more than an hour for her to teach me how to even hold the bow, and I still couldn't do it correctly. Yes. Like, and, it's a very difficult, complicated instrument. And that is what this this judge was saying. Like, you actually hold it in a way that most people don't, and right. it's really good. And I was like, oh, yeah, you go. Yeah, but it's like, like the proud dad moment because she, she was so nervous and then she killed course, it. And that's like, awesome. Good for her. Man. There you go. There you go. Anyway, uh, we've been it's a weekly basis, right? Where we go, hey, I feel like one of our roles here is to highlight the good and the bad and to say and the common, particularly when churches or uh, Christian organizations 
have moments of whether it be financial abuse, uh, sexual abuse, uh, spiritual abuse that just shines poorly upon not just that organization, but the church in general, evangelicalism or the church of Christ in general. Uh, we want to highlight those things and kind of unpack them a little bit. And so with that in mind, a uh, story came out this week. Let me just read to you the beginning of it as CEO of Acts 29. So Acts 29 is an organization. It's a church planting organization. Think almost like, well, you'd be able to extrapolate it better because of the way new thing works, but it's almost like a denomination. Uh, it's a network. It is I was going to say network. Churches, network is then, the word they would use, yeah. And then they're loosely tied together yeah. uh, for uh, encouragement and other things like that. So Resourcing. Acts, yeah. So Acts 29 is one of those. Started, I believe, years ago by Mark Driscoll. Uh, anyway, so C- as CEO of Acts 29, uh, Steve Timmis was an effective and respected leader. During his seven years at the helm, the church planting network rebounded from the fallout around its co-founder, Mark Driscoll, and expanded from 300 mostly U.S. churches to 800 around the world. A gray-haired British pastor with sharp Bible teaching and deep passion for mission, Timmis was known for the model of intensive gospel community developed at his 120-person church in the middle of England called the Crowded House. He emphasized, quote, ordinary life with gospel intentionality. But while his international reputation grew, some who knew Timmis in his ordinary life, who prayed, fellowship and evangelized with him in living room, offices and pubs, saw a different side. Uh, Andy Stovall, a former elder who was alongside him for 14 years, said this. People were afraid and are afraid uh, of Steve Timmis. Fifteen people who served under Timmis described to Christianity Today a pattern of spiritual abuse through bullying and intimidation, overbearing demands in the name of mission and discipline, rejection of critical feedback, and an expectation of unconditional loyalty. And because of all of this, the organization which confirmed the allegations of spiritual abuse said a little over two weeks ago the board of Acts 29 was made aware, uh, and they removed Timis from his Acts 29 CEO role. Man, these are hard to read. Like yeah. these are hard. I've I've respect for X twenty nine. A lot of the guys who lead it. I've talked yeah. about Matt Chandler many times. Chandler is the X twenty nine president right now, uh, and like kind of a hero of yours. He too, really right? is yeah. as a pastoral level. Yeah, he says from where we're heading next, we needed a, to transition Steve out of this role, uh, and so yet another guy or or person in leadership over in a major organization in Christendom. Uh, kind of saying people going, well, what was going on in the background was not what was going on publicly. And it came back and uh, it sounds too loose to be like it came back to bite him. But uh, it, it cost him his job. Yeah, I think what I will say that I appreciate about some of this uh, trend that we're seeing is it feels like 30 years ago, the vast majority of pastors were removed for some sort of sexual, sexual. abuse or, sexual or financial exploitation. Right. Yeah. Um, so at some level, I actually do appreciate that it seems like churches and organizations are wising up to the fact that this is as much a problem as anything yeah. where, you know, I mean, even we've even seen in the last 10 years, some for drinking, some for lying or plagiarizing. Um, but the, this abuse of power is apparently so much more pervasive than I realized, to be honest, yeah. like that, that part is really heartbreaking to me. But I, th- I think this is really telling. So Stovall says at the, at the end, of this organiza- uh, end of this organization, end of this article, uh, that one well-known phrase in the organization was, Steve doesn't do peers. Steve doesn't do peers. 
Like there is no peer relationship for this guy. Like that to me is such a haunting description of what I think we get backwards in some of these abusively hierarchical. I'm not saying that all hierarchies are wrong, but the, the notion though that, and we've seen some of this here in Chicago land, some of the lack of accountability, uh, what happens when you're only surrounded by yes men, when, you are allowed to perpetuate a culture of fear and intimidation. Sometimes the subtext is like, ah, that's just part of what it means to be the boss or part of what it means to have to submit to the boss. So I yeah. think when when it's in the area of like, oh, he cheated on his wife or like was clearly funneling funds. Yeah. I think traditionally that seems a lot more black and white in people's minds. And this kind of cultural assessment is harder to really nail to a tree when it comes to like pinpointing what the issue is. So I, I do want to say I'm, I'm glad that organizations are doing the hard, diligent work and the yeah. article is long. It's worth reading. Yeah. Um, but say, no, this is as much an issue and as, to- as toxic and dangerous as anything. And they're taking steps to correct it. It, it does still make me sad though, because I think you're right. I think, you know, organizations like these are doing good things in the world and we don't, take any joy at all no. in sharing these stories, but we also want to share them as a way of saying we, we need to do better. We need to pay attention to these things and also set parameters in place uh, well before we ever get to these places. Yeah. The point isn't like, oh, he's just always been a tyrannical leader and he just continued to kind of grow in power. I think you migrate, you, dr- you drift toward it. So how do we set up things before you actually drift to these places that are complicated? Yeah, it's so dangerous when you hear we had no peers. Um and like you said, I think it is a positive thing going on that taking out the people who are exploiting uh, power dynamics and um, but man, it's over and over again, the same story. And, and there's a lot still to come for this story, right? Because according to a copy of a 2015 letter to Acts 29 President uh, Matt Chandler obtained by uh, Christian Day, five staff members based in Dallas came to them with uh, concerns of bullying, lacking humility, developing a culture of fear. Uh, and and so on. It spanned 19 pages, and those five were eventually let go and asked to sign non condition uh, non disclosure agreements as a condition of their severance package. It says they were shocked, and so there's more to this story. I think I'm like you. I, I tend to take an optimistic, hopeful view, and I want to say I hope like it feels like the purge, right, in these organizations where mm. it seems like there was more going on behind the scenes right, than the right. fruit that we all saw from the front. Right. And maybe there's coming a season where uh, these Christian organizations are consistent uh, uh, behind the scenes as they are, what they show, the image they show to people. Well, and I guess idea. that's my prayer and hope. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's my hope for the churches we keep talking about. It's my hope for these organizations. And yeah. we'll keep highlighting these as we as they come up. Um, but but we hope that uh, that they are able to deal with this quickly. Yeah, I agree, man. Coming up next, Dallas Jenkins is going to join us in studio. We're going to talk about the Oscars, talk about some other media-related things. That's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. Uh, as we talked about earlier in the show, last night was the Oscars, and we said, who could we talk about the Oscars with? Who, let's just think about our... If only we knew someone media-minded. we could hmm. find somebody, and so we are thrilled that <laughs> Dallas Jenkins Preferably is back. someone who's entertained audiences around the world. <laughs> around the world. Oh, delighted. Delighted, delighted audiences around the world. 
as my bio used to say. Okay. You and I were texting last night going, who do we know that has delighted the audience? Who could we find? So, so few people. I know people who have delighted audiences locally. Yes. But I want, I want global delight in the studio. Around the world. And so Dallas Jenkins is going to join us here uh, for this segment. And next segment, we're going to talk about the Oscars. So Dallas, thanks for being coming back. Thank you. It's, uh, I've, I've missed you guys. It's been at least it's, a month. It's been so. too long. Not nearly too. as long as it was before the last time, though. Yes, that was when the... I was off making a show. But, but yeah, now... tell us about the show a little bit. Let's not forget that. People may not have any idea who you are and what you do. Well, why wouldn't they? I'm famous. My bad. Never mind. We'll move on. I had we'll no idea on. there were people who didn't know who I was. No. Uh, the Chosen, yes. First ever multi-season show about the life of Christ mm-hmm. um, and done outside the system. So it's uh, it's available free to watch on an app. Awesome. So you literally just go to wherever you get your apps and you download The Chosen. You can connect it to your streaming device. You can watch it on the big screen if you want. It's in every country in the world now. It's wow. been really cool. Uh, we heard from a family uh, just last week. It still moves me a lot. Um, this uh, mother of a Chinese family who uh, said, you know, because of the coronavirus, we're stuck in our homes and we haven't. Oh, we, wow. We're just we can't we can't leave our homes. And so I stumbled across the show. I'm the only one in our family who speaks decent English. But this show still moved my issues. My wow. children were stuck to the screen. They wanted to watch every episode. Wow. So thank you for this show about Christ. Uh, they watched all eight episodes in just a couple of days. And so uh, it's been really growing in countries like China and Iran and I think places where people uh, are desperate for this kind of content. So it's been really cool. To That's see. remarkable. That's amazing. I actually meant to tell you, too, because uh, there's a priest back home in Detroit that I've loved for a long time and someone who is just... You know, in a lot of ways, he's got, you know, four doctors. He's this incredible kind of mentor. He posted randomly on Facebook a couple of days ago, and uh, he was like, yeah, have you guys heard of The Chosen? Right. I am <laughs> loving this. And I, cool. I, I had to, like, fight there to be like, I know him. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, just uh, to say thank you, like, it's affecting people that I've cared about that are yeah. doing ministry in places that, awesome. you know, um, I just think it's being. Well, that's it, really great to hear. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really been cool. I think, I think it just feels different. Yeah, to people, yeah. um, people who've seen Jesus Projects before, it feels right. more authentic. And I think people who haven't, it's like, oh, this feels like a real show that I could actually watch. Right. Like a normal show. There you go. It's like what actually a novel watchable. idea. Right. It's actually watchable. Well, yeah. Is that the tagline under The Chosen? It's actually watchable? Yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not, it's watchable. Uh, well, speaking of watchable, see, yes. that's a segue right there. Did you see that? Yes. We, uh, we all saw that, Brian. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you said, off air, you said uh, you found the Oscars last night to be really watchable and different. It had a different vibe. I'm wondering just your general sense of what you watched last night. Well, here's what I find interesting. So I came in to talk to you guys. We knew we were going to be talking about the Oscars, and neither of you watched the Oscars last night. That's right. (laughs) There was a time when uh, everyone in the country watched the Oscars. Which is what you did. Um, And I I mean, I spent, you know, obviously 20 years of my life, every, every Every Oscars came around. I wished I was there. I wished I was. I mm. imagined myself up on screen, uh, mm. accepting an award because I I knew that I wanted to be a filmmaker. Mm. And then even when I was in the film business, or I'm still in it, but I up until about a couple of years ago, I really cared deeply about the Oscars mm. and wanted to be wanted to get one. I don't anymore. I don't care anymore, uh, particularly with the show that I'm doing now. But I still watch every year, of course. Yeah. But I, I'm finding so many friends and family members who don't watch anymore, and I think mm. there's reasons for that that are very mm. interesting. That last night, I was prepared to write down all of the things that were so offensive or boring or disconnected from the average audience member. And uh, it was actually one of the better shows uh, of the last, I don't know, 20 years or so. No kidding. Because the Oscars and other award shows have become so elitist, Uh uh, obviously skew in just one direction politically. 
typically you're just going to hear a bunch of speeches lecturing you about what's wrong with your life and what you voted for and why the people who make movies are so much smarter than than you could be. But last night, um, there was a little bit of that. You know, yeah. right off the bat, Brad Pitt made a speech, you know, in his speech is talking, bashing Trump and, and the, the uh, impeachment process and mm. For the first time, I, hearing a, a Hollywood person wish that John Bolton would have gotten a chance to speak. <laughs> speak. He's like, uh, the, the, I, they gave me 45 seconds for this speech, which is more than John Bolton got in front of Congress. And I'm like, since when have you wanted to hear from John Bolton? <laughs> it's like suddenly because he would attack Trump, you care about, about him. So I'm saying there was a little bit of that. But sure. overall, um, it was actually so that some of the performances were were amazing. I mean, it reminds you of why these are the most talented people in the right. world. Right, uh, and it included a song from uh, uh, the show uh, or the movie um, Unbreakable, which is mm-hmm. a, a faith based movie. And uh, then it, there was also a featured performance from Harriet, which is mm-hmm. which we can talk about next segment about some of the movies that are worth watching, but which is a very God honoring film mm-hmm. and an actress who performed that song. Um, and th- there were several speeches that were quite. Uh, about unity and about mm-hmm. focusing on the things that can unite us as opposed to the things that divide us. Right. And typically uh, when you hear these speeches, they're about quote unquote unity, but they're like, you need to unify around what Hollywood believes. Exactly. Right. Like, on, yeah. on our terms. Yeah. yeah. And it really wasn't as much that as it should have mm. been, or at least normally is Yeah, right. Isn't what you expected. And so, um, I think again, one another reason why uh, award shows tend to be disconnected from the common person is because they are typically honoring movies that no one saw. Yeah, yeah right. That's <laughs> so, true. <laughs> um, the most popular movies, the movies that get the sell the most tickets, are usually not what Hollywood finds to be the best. I think a lot right. of times, the movies that they talk about at parties that they're proud of making are not the ones that audiences really wanted to see. Mm. Um, and that's typically what the awards shows are honoring. And last night. Um, you know, a lot of the movies that were honored are movies that maybe haven't been seen by as many people. Maybe you guys haven't seen them yet. But some yeah. of them are worth seeing. Yeah. You know, movie, and we can like talk about that in, in the next segment. But I just was surprised. I was all ready to come in here today. <laughs> That's interesting. With, with a list of things that exposed why Hollywood is right. so full of it. And uh, and I was like, actually, I really like the show That's good. More, than, more than normal. So Well, and I didn't watch it, but I listened to some podcasts in preparation for this, and it sounds like a lot of people felt that way. Like, okay, there wasn't a host, and people were wondering how that was going to go, but some of the performances felt like a throwback almost. And he talk, there was some, you know, memefied stuff like Billy Eilish's response to um, to Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph and that not really getting their gig and people wondering like why is Eminem performing? What song is? Oh, I see. Yeah, so Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph did this very very funny segment and they cut to Billy. Uh, she just made a face. Right? She made a face, but yeah. I don't. I think it was. I mean, she's a teenager. Exactly. Right, right, she's exactly. a bit of an idiot, so it just happened. But they were, but, uh, but they were, they were brilliant and very, very funny. And, and they always po- are. They were yeah. poking fun at yes. themselves. And any time that you poke fun at the industry and poke fun at, the, at yourself, there's always a few people who don't quite get it. That's cause, right. Because they take themselves very seriously. Well, do you, I'm wondering if you think any of like Ricky Gervais's stuff has kind of helped move the needle a little bit, because a lot of what he's been saying this season in particular is, hey. It's just an award. Like nobody really cares that much. Get off mm. your soapbox. Like yeah, in the Golden Globes, he outright said to the people, <laughs> "No one cares about what you have to say. Right. Just get up here, thank people, thank for the award, and get yeah. off the stage." Right, right. And I know that there were people all over the country saying, "Thank you, yes, yes, yes." And I think, uh, and I think that makes, and, and that may be what what resulted in mm. this awards show being a little bit less sanctimonious. Mm. Is that people may just maybe 
not fully, but maybe a little bit, yeah. are taking it to heart and realizing what people actually want to hear and what they don't want to hear. Joaquin Phoenix's speech, um, very, very long, and the first half of it was 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 uh, insul- uh, basically attacking the notion that we drink milk because it comes from a cow that we've stolen its baby from it. and we've, Right, right. It's just this long rambling thing about artificial insemination of cows and why we shouldn't drink milk. <laughs> And it was eye-rolling. But then his second half of his speech was almost a sermon hmm. about uh, second chances and forgiveness and trying to find the things that we can actually be, be united about wow. um, and was quite lovely. So it was it really was the show was a lot of that. It was like every time I thought it was about to take a, a literal or figurative figurative left turn towards pomp and pompous sermonizing yeah, yeah right it actually then went back to the kind of the things that we used to love about the oscars and love about uh hollywood is that they were capable of doing some really great things mm. um but hopefully um the brit the gap can be bridged a little bit more. yeah right and uh, it was good to see some of the films get honored that actually are worthy of honor and and uh and again long term the goal is is that uh, people of faith can actually make films Absolutely. and shows that are worthy of of respect. Right. But if not, if the Hollywood industry is never going to fully respect those, that's okay too. We're still going to try to find ways to get to the people. That's right. And connect directly with the people. And maybe someday Hollywood can get back to that. Mm. Yep. Well, you're listening to Dallas Jenkins. Dallas is joining us to talk about last night's Oscars. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about specific movies. Which ones uh, were your favorites? Which ones are worthy of seeing? Uh, we're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. After winning Best International Feature, I thought I was done for the day and was ready to relax. <laughs> 아 너무 감사합니다. 그리고 예. 그 어렸을 때 제가 항상 가슴에 새겼던 말이 있었는데 영화 공부할 때 가장 개인적인 것이 가장 창의적인 것이다. 그 말을 하셨던 분이 누구였냐면 책에서 읽은 거였지만 Thank you so much. When I was young and studying cinema, there was a saying that I carved deep into my heart, which is the most personal is the most creative. 그 말은 that quote was from our great Martin Scorsese. So, <laughs> that's just some of the remarks from Bong Joon-ho, the director of Parasite, which was the big winner last night at the Academy Awards. Again, we're being joined by Dallas Jenkins to talk about last night's Oscars. Uh, Parasite wasn't expe- expected to win, I believe, but it won. It won a lot last night. I'm just wondering your take on that movie. Obviously, you've seen it. Um, and were you excited to see that, one, that movie win last night? Yes, and I'll, I'll be delicate about it because, I, you know, again, for your listeners, it's 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 not necessarily a family-friendly movie. Right, uh, right. We'll get into that in just a second. But that was actually a really wonderful moment last night when he gave his speech. He was a very humble guy. Hmm. Um, he was His speeches were more about... Uh, the the beauty that can come from filmmaking as opposed to some political statement. It was really refreshing. It was a shock that it won Best Picture because mm. everyone thought knew it was going to win Best Foreign Film. Um, but to win Best Picture, Best Director, Best Writer uh, is unprecedented for, for a foreign language yeah, film. Right. So here's the interesting thing about that film. Um, it's very dark. It's uh, twisted in many ways. There's things that happen in it that are shocking. Uh, it's violent. But I, I'm telling you, it is a commercial for the uh, 
the danger of sin and what lies can mm. do and what greed can do. Um, it's it's a bit of a class warfare film. It's about a very it's about a very poor family in Korea that, uh, long story short, um, kind of manipulates and lies its way into working for a very wealthy family. Mm. And there's a lot. They have a lot of jealousy, a lot of greed, a lot of resentment towards this wealthy family. Now you would expect from a film, most films that you see. Uh, wealthy people bad, poor people good. Mm. Um, and that's the message of the film. And this film showed that everyone is capable of mm. deep uh, sin. And uh, there were there's even biblical imagery in the film uh, showing kidding. what sin can do. There's there's a literal flood that happens wow, at kidding. some point in the film that, that it happens at the worst point of the film when they're the most... Uh, desperate and sinful, this literal flood comes. Wow. And, and it is a, I mean, I just, I, I watched it with actually a, a pastor friend of mine. Really? And both of us had the same reaction of just, wow, this is a, like, this is a, a, a cautionary tale about what sin can do when, right. you, when you don't address it head on. Um, and that's the thing about films that mm-hmm. I think we Christians need to, uh, to think about sometimes is that not every film that has bad things in it mm-hmm. is necessarily exhorting or uplifting the bad. Right. Now, a lot of films do. I mean, there's right, been films right. even that are family friendly that have these subtle messages that honor the bad and, and mm-hmm. dishonor the good. And that's what I think Hollywood can at times be known for. But sometimes there are films that are biblical in nature. I mean, if you read the Old Testament, it's rated R. No. For yeah, sure. for sure. <laughs> and you would, it's, it's not always with a happy ending. Right. Um, but I, I think that sometimes the, the films, and there are several of them this year, mm. 1917, Joker, yeah. Parasite, which are rated R, mm-hmm. which show violence, which show depravity, but not in a, not in a titillating or uh, honoring way. Right, it's, you right. You walk a lot of it going... Wow, I can see that there but for the grace of God go on yeah, yeah. in this descent towards madness or towards sin that can start from something normal. And and uh, I, I, I after I was done watching Parasite, I walked out of it saying a couple things. One is I've never seen a, I haven't seen a film like that mm. almost ever. It was one of the most brilliant, unique films I've ever wow. seen. I'm kidding. One wow. of the best films of the last few years. But I also walked away going like I have got I, I've got to make sure that I don't fall victim to some of the things that these characters did. And that was actually one of the messages of the film. Wow. It was not a glorification at all of sin. It was a cautionary tale. And a, and, a, and a beautifully directed one at that. And I was I was actually excited that it won the awards that it did. Again, to be clear, though. Right. It's yeah. not yeah. a family-friendly film. Yeah. It's yeah. not necessarily a film that, that I think everyone should see. But if you if you do, uh, if you if in your if in some of the media that you consume, you are interested in things that can that can have a message like that. Uh, yeah. Parasite is, is truly uh, remarkable. See, and that's what I appreciate. You're threading this needle, right? You're, you're offering both sides to this. Okay, I understand that there are certain implications of a rated R movie, but particularly calling on Christians to say, maybe we need a, a new framework with, with regards to how we engage art. And Brian and I often will mention, you know, a documentary or an album. We're like, hey, we're not saying play this at church, right. but it still probably is worthwhile for you to actually dive into the themes. And I think, unfortunately, historically, we've been a little skittish. Like, no, nothing about PG for our family. And right. I'm not saying play Parasite for your children either, but... Right, and, well, and I think that's okay. I think there's some people who... Yeah, right. I, you know, whether, I think this is true in the fashion industry or in the restaurant yeah. industry. Sometimes people right. are saying, no, no, you need to be more <laughs> thoughtful about these things. And some people are like, I'm too busy living my life right. to, to, to spend two hours watching something that's that's not fun to watch. I, right. I, sometimes I want to escape, and I get that. Totally. But if, if you are a consumer at times of media, and especially thoughtful media... Uh, a, a film like Parasite, um, a film like 1917, 
uh, can really has a lot to say and can be really fascinating and can can impact you I yeah. think in many ways spiritually and it did me it, it really did remind me of of sin patterns that I've had in my yeah. life that mm. started small uh, whether it's porn, you know pornography or whether it's selfishness or whether mm. it's um, anger or anything I, where myself or my friend has struggled with something it starts small and then you, over time you get callous to it it becomes right. far easier to to commit the next sin, to cover yeah. up the previous sin, and right. start to justify things. And Parasite was all about that. It was really fascinating. Now, wow. to I, I do want to mention, though, a film that I think is more family-friendly that was honored at the Oscars last night through some incredible performances and is a God-honoring film, which is Harriet, hmm. um, which is about, of course, the great Harriet Tubman. Um, and this was a film that didn't shy away from her relationship with God and right. showed mm-hmm. how her prayer life actually informed much of what she did. And so that's a movie that's much, I think, broader in its mm. audience that I can recommend it to. Yeah. Um, but uh, last night, seeing her perform a, a song from the show or from the movie and uh, was just extraordinary. And uh, and it's a movie that n- uh, not a lot of people saw. It wasn't a huge big box office right. success. But if you haven't seen Harriet, uh, I strongly encourage you to. And I took my kids to it, my daughters especially, to see what uh, being a strong woman really mm. looks like. Because I think in today's society... Uh, women are oftentimes, especially the Oscars, constantly reminding you of how strong they are and how they're just like men and how important it is to be a woman who can do it all. And I think some women sometimes get confused saying, well, what if I what if I don't want the same things that some of these women want Mm, in popular culture? Uh, Does that make me less of a woman? Well, Harriet is a is a movie about. The, one of the strongest women of all time, right, right. but also in a godly way, in a biblical way, in a mm. way that is uh, f- uh, gloriously feminine but strong at the same time. And I was thrilled for my teenage daughters to see it, That's uh, awesome. even though they're white, <laughs> but to yeah. see right, uh, this right. is the history of our country. Yes. This is an example of how to live, um, and you can you can identify with um with how to overcome some of these struggles that maybe, maybe you can't identify with the struggle, but you can identify with seeking God in the midst of some mm. of the most difficult circumstances. That's, That's cool. good. What about like, uh, what, what was that movie? Once upon a time in Hollywood, 1917, some of those other big ones that were up, uh, any of those that you really enjoyed or were some of those where you're like, ah, I'm not really so such a big fan of that one. I loved most of them. I mean, I, I, you know, again, once upon a time in Hollywood, that's one I wouldn't recommend for most audiences. Is that right? Um, I mean, I, I personally loved it. I'm a huge fan of Quentin Tarantino's, but he's not exactly God honoring. Good point. Uh, I, I, <laughs> or I, family friendly. Right? No, I glean from him, uh, uh, filmmaking, um, uh, expertise. And, and yeah. so, but, but, uh, but yeah, I wouldn't recommend that to most yeah. audiences uh, who are trying to avoid uh, some of the, the darker things of life. <laughs> sure. um, but I mean, he has a message, and it's, it's typically a, a message of justice, which I do like. But yeah, but, right. uh, but um, again, sometimes there's movies that are really great and brilliant and worth seeing as a filmmaker. But but right. they're not necessarily all that necessary as just a normal, as a normal <laughs> yeah. person. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was. And then you always, anytime that you uh, watch the Oscars, if you want to look for films that you and your family can enjoy the animated feature category is is always there and it was really cool to see toy story 4 win for best animated feature because there are a lot of people in, at pixar who are believers and, mm-hmm. and the messages of their films are extremely pro-friendly and pro-family pro yeah. and the, when they accepted the award they said we are unashamed of the fact that our films are for families mm. and our films are literally for our families and so they honored their wives and it was oh, really that's, cool that's phenomenal so uh, it was really cool to see but yeah uh, most of the films in the animated feature category are, are like including the ones maybe you haven't heard of are really fantastic really and uh and honoring of family and faith That's and all great. those things. So it was I great. I love that. And I know we don't have time for it, but there was, there's an article going around about a former NFL player who made the animated short, I think, that won last night that 
Yeah. It's really fascinating. It's a fascinating story. I'd encourage people yeah, to go and I see think it. it's good. I think it's important when you watch the, the Oscars to not paint Hollywood with the broad brush yeah. of yeah. evil that we tend to do. And yeah. uh, Hollywood is capable of amazing good as well. Absolutely. And it's, it's important for us as audience members to identify and support that. That's a good All one. Right, man. Well, it's good to have Dallas back. It's like we reconnected today, right? So yes. you can find him at uh, The Chosen, just the app, uh, wherever you get your apps. Uh, search for The Chosen, and there you could uh, see episodes. Maybe get the sweatshirt you're wearing, I'm guessing, right now. It's a great show. Chosen sweatshirt right there. It is, although, as you may know, by being on the radio, none of your listeners can oh, see it. We're going to take a picture. <laughs> we're going to take a picture with you. <laughs> yes. Anyway, Dallas, thanks for joining us again, man. This yeah, is really thanks, fun. Man. Absolutely. We'll do it again. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. That music can only mean one thing. It is the end of the show. Interweb insanity, and you got you got some feedback from some people this weekend that they enjoy this. You and I before have gone. Anybody like this? Because we laugh at this, we find it funny. But uh, you got some uh, affirmation, and we love our affirmation. <laughs> you use the word "we" way too much on this show. I feel like I need to, at the end of every show to write up my own disclaimer to like fact check and clarify. When Brian says "we," he means. I. No, no, Ian and I totally, we love the Mets. We're no. totally in agreement on this. No, no, no. <laughs> I think you think, like, you assume I'm not going to say something, like, he'll be fine with this, and I'm going to say something every time. But I was at our lovely Lincoln Square location, and uh, a lovely couple came up to me afterwards, and he said, you know, I don't usually get off of work until, like, 525, 25, but, like, you guys now are, like, the show I listen to. And I was like, oh, sorry. Sorry you have to hear, like, you know, Web Insanity every time. He's like, no. It's like my favorite part of the show. <laughs> and when I pull up home, it's like the first thing my wife and I talk about is awesome. these absurd stories. And I thought, man, Interweb Insanity, bringing couples together Bring daily. Together. <laughs> so we're doing our part. Let's go ahead and do this. You can go first. Oh, wow. Thanks. You're welcome. Texas, woman with five warrants gave fake name that also had a warrant. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a sermon illustration. Uh, so this is Wichita Falls Police arrested a woman Friday for five warrants, including allegedly giving officers a fictitious name during a traffic stop. The fake name the suspect provided also had an arrest warrant. <laughs> According to the probable cause affidavit, shortly after 9 p.m. Wednesday, January 15th, officers observed a vehicle fail to use a turn signal, a pet peeve of both Brian and Ian. Yes. We, we both hate that. If we, after, yes, we do. After the vehicle was stopped, both the driver and the passenger were detained. After the officers observed something fly out of the passenger window. This is a weird story. The passenger later identified as Sharika Strawn, 28, told officers her name was Porshala Strawn. So same last name. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> a records check revealed that Porshala Sean, Porshala Sean uh, had an outstanding warrant for her arrest. While the woman was being transported to the jail, she told officers her real name was Sharika Strawn. When officers checked the records, they found five warrants for her arrest. On Friday, January 30, 31st, uh, officers arrested Strawn on various warrant charges. Wait, you changed your name to McLovin? <laughs> McLovin? What kind of a stupid name is that? I can't believe you found a clip from that movie that there wasn't swear words. Oh, no, you cut it off pretty fast. Then, <laughs> yeah, that was, a good, that was a good call. It, it, it goes downhill really it yeah. really does yes. 
California, Burger King offering a free Whopper in exchange for pictures of your ex on Valentine's oh, Day. Why? Burger King is offering its customers the chance to trade in a photo of their former significant other in exchange for a free Whopper. The fast food chain says it will offer breakup boxes in select locations in New York City, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Boston, where customers will be able to bring in an old photo of their ex and trade it for something more satisfying, a delicious burger. Oh, to be young to feel love's keen sting. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yep. Yep. North Carolina man comes home to a box of bear cubs. He thought they were puppies. No. no. <laughs> How does that happen? Imagine coming home to a box with two puppies waiting inside. Now imagine being told the box is actually filled with two bear cubs. That's what happened to a North Carolina man who called his local sheriff's office last month to report a box with two puppies that had been left at his residence. Deputies were called by the man, and upon arrival, the deputies quickly determined that the alleged puppies were actually two very young bear cubs. The caller stated he had left his residence for a short time and discovered the animals upon his return. I tried to get an interview with him, but they said, nope, you can't do that. He's a live bear. He will literally rip your face off. (laughs) That's probably the most appropriate use of that sound. And so they go, oh, look at these cute puppies and their bear cubs. And why did someone just leave bear cubs at the guy's door? And I'm not an animal expert, but don't you feel like baby puppy, baby bear cub next to each other, you'd Different. be able to decipher yes. the difference? Yes, and you wouldn't be able to tell because the baby uh, bear cub will have eaten the baby oh, puppy. Brian, jeez Louise. New York Pizza sent a record number of Americans to the ER in 2018. Oh, wow. Who knew a slice of pizza could be so dangerous? I did. The number of hospitalizations in the United States involving pizza rocketed by more than 50% in 2018. Whether it was caused by falling upstairs while carrying a delivery or someone slashing a finger with a pizza cutter, what? there were no fewer than 3,800 visits to the ER two years ago related to the tasty Italian food. That figure compares to 2,300 injuries Holy cow. in 2017. The statistics come from medical service provider Babylon Health in honor of National Pizza Day. Pizza is going to send out for you. <laughs> I love that that's come up a couple of times on National Pizza Day yesterday. Yeah. If you uh, if you missed it, you can still get in on the action. All right, last but not least, Michigan, America's high five. Man wins $94,000 lottery prize, immediately calls ex-wife with the news. <laughs> this is a weird one. <laughs> James Bruno knew exactly who he needed to call as soon as he realized he'd won $94,956 Fantasy Five lottery jackpot. His ex-wife, but he did not make the call to rub it in. He just wanted to share his good luck. Oh, I called the winning number hotline to get the numbers, Bruno said. I checked my ticket right away, and when I saw it was a winner, my first call was to my ex-wife, who is still a close friend. Then I called my sons and told them the good news. The 74-year-old Bruno bought his ticket at the East Paris Discount Liquor. We all know that well. <laughs> located at 2871 East Paris Southeast in Kentwood. He matched all five numbers drawn on January 31st to win the jackpot prize. He was one of four players who each matched all five numbers, resulting in them splitting a $379,000 jackpot. Ha-ha! <laughs> no, See, no, it wasn't, it wasn't a ha-ha. No, that, we called the celebrate That was there. a sound effect chosen without reading the rest that of the article. true. I don't know why you're looking at me. Because you chose... Oh, Keith. Oh, oh no. boy, Keith. Well, that's a nice story <laughs> that they turned dark. Yeah, like no one ending comes, on a dark. But like like the bear comes eating the puppies. <laughs> that wasn't even the story. That was you just saying that. These are kickers. You could take them out of context we, and stop reading when it stops getting funny. I feel you like it could that. be the story. <laughs> Tomorrow, join us. 
Tomorrow we're actually going to have your friend uh, John Wentz from Alpha. Yes, He's going to join us for a couple segments. We can't encourage you enough to join us. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hopefully you like it.